0: Well, this morning we're going to complete our study of hope, how to find hope in addiction and defeat. Now, just so you guys kind of know what's coming next, I'm going to start next week preaching this series of four messages at our Creekside campus. And Matt Morton, the teaching pastor there, is going to come and be with you guys for four weeks to talk about end times. So what do we think is going to happen next in God's plan for the earth, So that's what's coming. This morning, I want to complete our study of how to find hope and healing in the struggles of life. We're looking at struggles with sin and addiction this morning. Now, this is a, a personal topic for me because I am an addict. And it, it was actually my son who brought this to my attention a couple months ago. We were sitting together on the couch uh, as he was getting ready for bed. And I was with him. But I also wasn't with him because I was lost in my phone. I was checking Twitter or Facebook or who knows what. And my son felt neglected. And he is not one to keep his feelings to himself. And so my eight-year-old son, Luke, pushed my phone down, crawled up in my lap, grabbed my face, and said, Daddy, pay attention to me and stop playing with your phone. And I was really convicted in that moment because, to be honest... At times, I am addicted to my phone. I spend too much time on it, even though I know I should be focused on my kids and on, on my wife. And actually, that has become such a huge thing for, for the human species that we've now labeled it. Doctors have given that a name. It's called nomophobia. It means an irrational fear of being without your cell phone. You suffer from nomophobia if you ever feel anxious if you can't find your phone don't know where it is, it's not with you, you feel a little bit of anxiety. You have nomophobia if you feel a sense of anxiety because you haven't checked your phone in the last couple hours. That's an addiction. That's a bad habit. Experts are actually saying that smartphones are the cigarettes of the modern age. It's like this habit that we all give into and kind of wink at because it's no big deal, but really we know better. We know this is bad for us and for our relationships, but we do it anyways. But the problem is, even though we know it's something that's bad, it's just so hard. To put the phone away. It's so hard not to check it. Why is that? Or a broader question Why is it so hard for us to stop giving in to bad behaviors? Why is it so hard to stop doing things that we know are bad for us? Maybe for you it's not cell phones, maybe it's food. It's just so hard to stop eating. You know you shouldn't overeat, but you keep doing it even though you're putting on weight. Or maybe it's alcohol. You know you need to stop drinking to excess, but you just keep drinking so much you have hangovers the next day. Or maybe for you, it's video games. You know you need to turn it off and go to the gym and work out, but you just keep playing. Why is that? Maybe it's pornography. You know you shouldn't look. You know it's bad for you. You feel guilty about it, but you just keep doing it. Maybe for you, it's criticism. You, you just keep criticizing everyone around you and you feel bad about it, but you just can't keep those words from coming out of your mouth. Why is it so hard for us to stop doing things that we know are bad for us? And really, the the hardest question is, why is it so hard for Christians? Because we know Jesus. We have God's Holy Spirit living inside of us, giving us God's power to overcome sin. So why is it so hard for us, as followers of Jesus Christ, to stop doing things we know are bad for us? Well that's our topic this morning. I'm going to walk you through four things. I'm going to talk for a little bit about the good mechanism of habits that God built into your brain. Then I'm going to talk about how sin twists that good habit forming mechanism and uses it to build addictions. Then I'm going to share with you what I think are the two most important passages in the whole Bible on the topics of habits and addictions to help you see how to have victory over them. And then I'm going to share with you four practical steps for growing in obedience even when you struggle with sinful habits and addictions. Okay, so that's where we're headed. Let's start with the good news. God has given you a very good habit-forming mechanism. In your brain. It is an incredible gift. God designed your brain to automate things that it does regularly. That's what a habit is. Habit's is just a choice. It's become automatic. You've done it so often that you don't have to think about it. And in reality, most of the things you say or do in a given day are habits. They're done automatically. You don't have to think about them. You can just go about your day and it happens automatically. Now, that, those habits, those automated things allow you to function. Imagine for a moment what your life would be like if you could not form habits. What would it be like to brush your teeth? You would actually have to conscientiously think left, right, left, right. Up, down, up, down, up, down, spit. You'd you'd have to think about that because it doesn't come automatically. You're eating. If you were eating without a habit, what would that be like? Well, you couldn't talk to anybody. You would have to think. Chew, chew, chew. Switch sides. Chew, chew, chew. Swallow. Too soon. (laughs) Chew, chew, chew. You would have to think about it because it wouldn't be automated. Habits are a gift from God that allow you to function. It's a guy named Charles Duhick who's written this great book on the power of habits in our lives. He says, habits emerge because the brain is constantly looking for ways to save effort. That's what a habit does. It's a, it's a way to have efficiency in life. Left to its own devices, the brain will try to make almost any routine into a habit. And that's what allows your brain to move to higher levels of thinking. You can have that deep conversation with your friend over lunch because you're not having to think about how to chew your food. Okay, So habits allow you to be fully human. They're a very good gift from God. But like all good gifts from God that he programmed into your body, habits are affected by sin. Sin can twist that good habit-forming mechanism God gave you and use it to build sinful habits that can turn into addictions. Because if a a habit is just any behavior that is made automatic, well, what if that behavior is sin? What happens if you practice that sin day after day after day? It becomes automatic and you start sinning without even thinking about it. That automatic sin grows into something we call an addiction. And in that book, Power of Habits, it goes on to say particularly strong habits produce addiction-like reactions. He's talking about in your body, in your biology. So that wanting evolves into obsessive craving that can force our brains into autopilot, even in the face of strong disincentives, including loss of reputation, job, home, and family. We've all seen that. People who have allowed bad behavior to grow into a bad habit, to grow into an addiction that has destroyed them and everything they care about. Okay, that happens out in the world that happens even here in the church. And so we're going to talk about this pathology of addiction. What is an addiction? Well, if you ask a doctor, the medical definition of an addiction is a chronic brain disease. It is actually a disease that is progressive. That means it gets worse with time. It always does if you let it. And it can be fatal. It can eventually kill you. Okay, so a ha- an addiction is a disease of the brain. Now more of a, of a practical definition. What is a habit or what does an addiction actually look like in your life? Well, an addiction is simply repetitive behaviors in the face of negative consequences. I think that's actually the most useful definition. What does it mean to be addicted? It means you keep doing something you know is bad for you. Repetitive behaviors in the face of negative consequences. I like that definition because it's so broad. Any repeated behavior, any repeated way of thinking that leads to bad consequences, but you keep doing it. That will eventually grow into an addiction in your life. Now when we define it that broadly, any repeated behavior or way of thinking that you do over and over again in the face of negative consequences, hopefully that helps us to be able to step back and realize actually anything that is deeply enjoyable, at least for a moment, can turn into addiction. Any way of thinking, speaking, or acting that is enjoyable, at least for a moment, can eventually turn into an addiction. And the way that it does that is by manipulating the good habit-forming mechanism that God designed into your brain. And some of you have studied biology. You know how the brain works. What's happening is that this bad habit is playing with the dopamine-empowered reward system God designed in your brain. God designed in your brain that when you do something that is pleasurable... It releases a small amount of dopamine that makes you feel good. It's a neurotransmitter that makes your brain light up with with happiness. And so you do this thing, and as soon as you feel good, what have you just done? You've just rewarded your brain. And your brain, in some ways, is like how you train a dog. Okay, If if you reward the dog, then the dog's going to want to do that same thing again. You're strengthening that behavior cycle in you. Well, what if it's a sinful thing that you just did, but it made you feel good? Release just a bit of dopamine. Well, you just strengthened that reward loop for that sin. Okay, now you want to do the sin again. Your brain wants it again. I want that dopamine hit again. Problem is, that reward mechanism, the dopamine release for a given substance or experience decreases with time. It always does. What's the result? You need more of the substance or experience next time to get the same dopamine hit. That's why addiction is always progressive. To get the same high, you need more of the substance Okay, so that's what we're doing. We're playing with that good reward system God designed into our brains when we practice bad habits. We play with that until it turns into destructive addictions. And like I said, that's as prevalent out in the world as it is here in the church. We see it everywhere. We see it a lot in the news these days. There is an epidemic in our country with the use of opioids. So prescription painkillers in particular. It's a crisis running throughout America. Uh, 42,000 Americans died of opioid overdose in 2016. That's actually more than died of breast cancer. It's a bigger deal than breast cancer now. That number, however, is dwarfed by the people struggling with alcoholism. So 88,000 Americans die every year from alcohol-related causes, 88,000. In 2015, 27% of Americans, 18 and older, engaged in binge drinking in the previous month, which is what fuels alcoholism. The Washington Post has actually said the prevalence of alcoholism in the United States rose by a shocking 49% in the first decade of the 2000s. It's skyrocketing. Now, one in eight American adults meets the diagnostic criteria for alcoholism. One in eight is an alcoholic in our country. Yet, as big as those numbers are, they are dwarfed by the number of people today who are addicted to pornography and to digital devices. That's everywhere. So we have all of these addictions that are destroying people. And and they're as prevalent here in the church as they are out in the world. We all suffer from bad habits and addictions. So how do we find hope and healing in the midst of them? How do we fight back against bad habits and addictions in our lives? So second thing I want to do with you is share with you the two most important passages in the Bible on habits and addictions. This will help you understand what's going on when you do something repeatedly. So the first passage is in Romans chapter 6. I'll put it up on the screen. Romans chapter 6, and it begins with a question in verse 15. Paul says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? That is a very logical question. It's a great question. Paul recognizes if you've trusted in Jesus, guess what? All your sins are forgiven. And what does all mean? Literally all, not just past, but all future sins. Every sin you could possibly commit has already been forgiven. It was forgiven 2,000 years ago on the cross. Therefore, if you're already forgiven, no matter what you ever do, why not enjoy some sin in this life? I and mean, come on, just enjoy all you can get. Well, he gives the answer in verse 16. He says, may it never be. Do you not know? That when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. His answer is slavery. And it's important to clarify here. If you've trusted in Jesus, you are not legally a slave of sin. No, you've been set free from sin. Sin does not own you ever again. You are owned by God. You are part of his family. But legal slavery is not what Paul has in mind here. He's talking about what we might call experiential slavery. He's talking about the guy who lives as if he's a slave, even though he's not a slave. What Paul is telling us, the point of all of this, is whatever behavior you repeat on a daily basis, it will eventually own you. It will eventually become a habit that you have a increasingly difficult time resisting. Okay, Paul is just talking about that habit-forming mechanism that God designed into your brain. Yes, you are freed from legal ownership of sin. It does not own you anymore. But if you practice it every single day, it will become a habit that's incredibly hard to resist. It will master you. Okay, so that's Paul's answer. Why not give in to sin? Because you give in to sin day after day, it will master you. It will become a habit that grows into an addiction that you cannot resist. I think what Paul is getting at is the fact that in that habit-forming mechanism, here's the easiest way to think about it. This is kind of the picture that comes to my mind when I'm tempted by sin. I picture myself walking through a field. I'm walking through a field, just picture it, field, um, and it's all covered in grass, just beautiful green grass. Well, let's say that I walk from point A to point B. I do it today. Then I do it tomorrow. Then I do it the next day. What happens to the grass? It gets worn out. You get a path there. You're digging a ditch in that field so that it's easier and more direct. Okay, so day after day, that's going to be the path that you walk. That's Paul's point. Whatever you do day after day, it becomes a ditch, it becomes a habit that becomes unavoidable. If it's sin, then sin will master you. I love how Tim Keller puts it. He says, All sin is addiction. Whether it's bitterness, whether it's envy, whether it's materialism, whether it's laziness, whether it's impurity, every sinful action becomes an addiction, and every sinful action brings into your life a power that operates exactly like addiction cycles. I love that quote because hopefully it clarifies. You may have come in this morning, and as soon as I put up that first slide and you saw, oh, he's talking about addiction. Well, that's not me because I don't deal with, like, alcoholism or drug abuse or pornography, whatever it is. I I don't have an addiction in my life. No, actually, you do. You are an addict. How do I know? Because the Bible says you're a sinner. And so am I. And all sin, by its very nature, is addictive. It always leads to addiction. If you practice any sin on a regular basis, whether it's a behavior, whether it's a way of thinking. I love how he includes bitterness and critical, criticizing people, whatever it might be. Whatever behavior you practice on a regular basis, whatever way of thinking or speaking you practice on a regular basis It will become an addiction. There is no way around that. And so I think what Tim Keller is helping us realize is there are no pet sins. None. No small sins. There's no amount of sin you can manage because that's not how sin works. All sin is inherently addictive. That's why you should say no to it. Yeah, Jesus died for it, but do you really want it to absolutely own you. Do you? You want it to become an addiction that destroys you because that's what you're choosing when you say yes to it. All sin is inherently addictive. It will lead you down a path that gets harder and harder to escape. And the result will be if you continue to let that addiction play out, eventually it will lead to death. So Paul says in verse 16. The, the end result, the fruit of that addiction is death. I think he's talking about physical death. And and that's very easy to see. You've all seen that (laughs) either in in real life or on TV or in the movies. When you give in to an addiction, when you fully let it vent in your life, whether it's to alcohol or to drugs or to, to sexual sin or whatever it might be, it ends up destroying you, destroying everything you love and leading to premature death. Sin becomes bad habits that become addictions that destroy you and those you love. But there is very good news in this verse too. Because this isn't the path you have to walk. You can walk the other path. The path of obedience. Paul says, if you present yourself as a slave to obedience day after day, what that means is I'm going to wake up every day saying today I'm going to obey. Each time I face that choice, I'm going to choose to obey. Then what happens? Paul says the result is sanctification. Sanctification means you grow in righteousness. It means you become more and more righteous, more and more like God. Again, picture that field. Okay, you're standing in that field and and you have time after time, you've been walking this way in the sinful way, deepening that ditch, strengthening that path. Well, Paul says, no, you can go this way. You can obey. And if you'll obey today and obey tomorrow and obey the next day, guess what? You'll start digging a new trench. You'll start blazing a new path that becomes easier to walk in day after day, more unavoidable to walk in day after day. And so you can build good habits that lead you to righteousness. And the point of all of this to say Even as Christians, we cannot escape the habit-forming mechanism God designed into our brains. You can't escape it. Whatever you choose to practice regularly will become a habit in your life. So, make sure you practice obedience. Practice what you want to become because it will master you. Okay, so that's Romans 6. Now, if that was the only passage that we studied, then it would seem like your choices are everything. Whatever you choose to, to say or think, that, that determines everything. Our choices are incredibly important, but we're not alone in this habit-forming mechanism. And that's what we find in the next passage. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 is very much like the Romans 6 passage we just read. Paul says, So then, my beloved... Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's our part. As, as believers in Jesus, what does God want us to do? Keep obeying. Day after day, always keep obeying. And, and by keeping obeying, Paul's saying you'll be working out your salvation. You'll be taking this gift of salvation and applying it to more and more of your life so that you become more and more like Jesus. Okay, so that's our part in this process. We need to keep obeying in every part of our lives. But as we keep obeying, we're not alone. Because that's verse 13. He says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Because it is full of such incredibly good news. This is a massively hopeful verse. Because it tells us that as we choose obedience Today, God is with us in it and will work through it. And in particular, God is going to do two things in you. If you say yes to God today, yes, I will obey, God will do two things. First, we'll actually start with the last underlined phrase to work. God will give you the power to work for His good pleasure. What, what Paul's saying is God will give you the ability to obey. If you will say yes right now, God will give you the strength that you need to obey. That's true because God lives in you and God is infinite. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit is almighty. The point of all that is to say, if you have trusted in Jesus, then at any particular moment in your life, no matter how far you've fallen into bad habits or addictions, sin in that moment is never inevitable. Never. At any given moment, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you can obey. It's a promise Paul makes to us in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. Many of you know this Verse. No temptation has seized you except as is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. In other words, God is always enough to obey. Always. The Holy Spirit in you is stronger than any temptation, any bad habit, any addiction you face. So at any given moment, you can obey. That is great news, but I love that that's not all the news of this verse. Because God is at work in you not just to enable your obedience today, but to do what else? To make you will for his good pleasure. It's a weird phrase. In Greek, to will means to desire. The point Paul's making is God is at work in you. When you say yes to obedience today, God works in you to transform you so that you desire to obey at least a tiny bit more tomorrow. And I love this. I absolutely love this about Christianity. Nobody in the world understands. Everybody out in the world thinks that Christianity is just a whole bunch of rules to keep you from doing the thing you want to do, right? A whole bunch of rules you got to follow. No, that is not Christianity. What is Christianity? Christianity is God's promise to transform you so that you want to do what is good for you and other people. Christianity is all about incredibly good news. God does not want you to live a life of sad obligation. No. He wants to transform you so that what you love is what he loves. He wants to get hold of your desires so that you desperately desire to do the things that are good. And so Paul's point is, if you will obey today, God will empower your obedience today, but he will also work to grow your desire so you actually want to obey a little bit more tomorrow. And again, it's it's those neural pathways working in our minds. It's that system that God designed. Maybe instead of a field, a better analogy would be trying to walk through a forest. Picture yourself trying to walk through a dense forest. And for 10 years, you have blazed a path this way towards a sin. Maybe it's being critical of other people. Maybe it's looking at pornography. Maybe it's drinking too much. Whatever it is, you've been blazing that path. And that path's real easy to walk now. Everywhere else in the forest is real dense, real hard to walk. But here, you've, you've cleared this path. But then you say, man, I'm an, it's enough. I'm not doing this anymore. God, I need your strength. Okay, God will give you the strength to walk this way. It's going to hurt at first. Because there's all that underbrush. It's all thick. But he'll give you the strength you need to walk this way. But guess what the good news is? By walking that way, you just started clearing a path. So tomorrow you say, I'm going to do it again. Next day I'm going to do it again. Next day I'm going to do it again. What happens after a month of that? Well, all of a sudden this path is open. This path is getting easier to walk. And what's happened to the other path? Stuff started to grow into it. It's now harder to walk. That's exactly how your brain works. Scientists have proven that. When you choose not to do something you used to do all the time, those neural pathways diminish. They disintegrate over time. When you choose to do this new thing that was so hard to do the first time, those neural pathways strengthen. That is God working in you, building new desires so that obedience is more desirable tomorrow than it was today. We have a great God. He will not only empower your obedience today, but in his grace, he will transform you so that you actually want to do what he wants you to do. So that's the good news that we get from Philippians two, twelve, and 13. Now I want to give you some practical steps. So let's say you, you're convinced. You want to walk in this new godly habit. You want to build that new habit. You want to obey day after day. How do you actually do that? I'm going to give you four practical steps to help you say no to a sinful habit and yes to obedience. Okay, so the first step, well, you should already know this, same every week. Talk about it. No surprise there. Addictions always grow in the dark. Always. Always. You must bring them into the light if you're going to kill them. You've got to be willing to talk about it with other people. If you try to hide it, it's a secret, a shameful secret. It's just, going to, it's just going to have power in your life. It's going to win. You've got to bring it out to the light and you've got to confess it. You've got to confess it to God. and That's easy. He already knows it. You can't hide anything from him. But you've got to confess it to other people too. One of the first steps in overcoming a bad habit or an addiction in your life, whether it's something is as shameful as drug abuse or something that seems as innocuous as just being critical or bitter, the first step to finding healing is to confess that to other people, to be honest with that to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Say, hey, I'm dealing with this. I need you to pray for me. I need you to help me in this. So confess it to other people. If it's an addiction that you've lived in for a while, what may be needed is actually a recovery group for you. You may need to join with a group of other believers who are wrestling with, with addiction as well and have found some victory in it so they can encourage you and help you along the way. One of the greatest ministries we have here at Grace Bible Church is called Celebrate Recovery. It's it's kind of like a a twelve step program that is focused completely on Jesus, and the idea is you gather together with other people trying to obey, trying to build new good habits in their lives, and you encourage one another. You join together in that shared struggle. It has brought healing for so many count I'm just countless people. So Celebrate Recovery meets here at Southwood every Tuesday night at 6.30, no matter the weather, no matter the holidays. Every Tuesday they'll be here, 6.30 p.m. for food, and then 7 p.m. they start with some worship. We also just recently have started to celebrate recovery for teenagers who are struggling with whether it's bad habits or hang-ups or hurts, whatever's going on in their lives, and they, they need somebody to talk about. We call it the landing. It also meets here at Southwood on Tuesday evenings at 6.30, but it's a safe, private place for teenagers to be able to gather together um, and, and help each other with godly mentors to walk in obedience. Okay, so lots of great options for you. So you got to talk with other people. Finally, if your addiction has been growing for a long time, and especially if it has a very strong biological component because maybe it's a substance abuse issue or alcohol abuse, you may need to talk to an expert. You may need to sit down with a doctor. That's really common. When, when drug abuse becomes really strong in our lives, we often need medical help to overcome it. Don't hesitate to do that. That's not a sign of weakness. Weakness is trying to hide it. Strength is, is going and talking to somebody. So talk to a doctor or a counselor. There's a lot of great medical tools available to help you move out of addiction and into healing. Okay, So you've got to talk about it. That's step number one. Step number two, find and fill the hole. There's a quote attributed to the great Christian author G.K. Chesterton. I don't know if he said it, but it's a great quote nonetheless. Everyone who knocks on the door of a brothel is knocking for God. The point that he's getting at is ultimately every time a person gives in to sin... There is actually some legitimate need deep down in their heart that they are trying to satisfy through that sinful behavior. There's something down here that God put down there that they need, and they're trying to fill it in an illegitimate way. Well, if they can discover what is a legitimate need and meet it in a legitimate way, then all of a sudden the bad habit or addiction becomes far less appealing. So, you, there's lots of examples of this. This is very easy to, to see. Think about the, the man who habitually looks at pornography. Why? Why is that? Well, it, it could be that his, his need deep in his soul is genuine intimacy. That's a good thing. God designed you to have genuine intimacy with other people, but that's hard. That takes time and sacrifice and work. And so, what has he done? He's given into a cheap substitute. Or maybe the genuine need that he has, the legitimate need, is relief from stress. He is just overwhelmed with stress or fear or whatever it might be. And instead of turning to God to find healing for that, he takes the cheap substitute. Or maybe what it is in his life, he he just really needs to feel like he's approved and loved. and, And that's hard to find for real. And so he feels approval or love in the eyes of whatever actress he's watching on the screen. so again, there's a legitimate need that he's trying to fill in an illegitimate way. How about the person who's addicted to criticizing other people? Just always speaking criticism to other people. What's going on there? What's the legitimate need? Well, maybe the legitimate need is, is this person is just afraid. Just genuinely afraid about where life is headed. And what they need is for God to speak into that fear and give them the relief that they need. But they're not filling it with God. And so instead they strike out in criticism. How about the person who is addicted to approval? see this all the time. Men or women who are overworking and cheating their families because they're addicted to the praise they get at the office. Why? Well, there's probably a legitimate need there. Maybe it's a a genuine need to to have value and worth in people's eyes, and maybe their parents didn't meet that need when they were growing up, and so they're desperate for it. But instead of turning to God, they turn to the people at work who, who satisfy that need, and that leads them into the addiction. If you can identify what the legitimate need is deep down in your soul and find better ways to satisfy it, then all of a sudden the addiction or the habit loses some of its power over you. Does that make sense? So when guys come to me who are struggling with an addiction, often pornography, we sit down on the couch. We're going to talk for an hour about it one of the most frequent things I try to do during that hour is help them to understand overcoming an addiction like pornography is far less about not doing the bad thing and far more about finding a good thing to do instead. That, that's actually the, the crux, the, the crucial thing. is Say, okay, I'm giving into this. Why? What, what is the need that I have? Okay, if, if I identify the need, then what is a good thing I can fill my life with? For a lot of these guys, man, they, they just need a purpose to live for. They need something that inspires them and gives them passion. Okay, let's talk about your spiritual gifts. Let's talk about how you could serve in the church or in the community or on the mission field and make a difference for eternity. Let's get you excited about that. Let's get you surrounded in a small group with other men who inspire you and encourage you. Let's fill your life with that good stuff. And that will help you say no to temptation. And so you've got to find and fill that, that legitimate hole in your soul so you'll stop turning into cheap substitutes to destroy you. So that's step number three, or step number two. Step number three, eliminate the triggers. Ultimately, every bad decision we make was triggered by something. Every bad habit, every addiction has one or more triggers that lead us down that path. Uh, For an alcoholic, for example, um, medical research has shown it could be the sound of ice dropping in a glass. It could be the smell of beer. It could be the sound of a party that all of a sudden triggers that neural pathway. They start craving the alcohol. Maybe if, it, if it's pornography again, maybe it's that you, you have a cell phone in your hand at 11 p.m. And that's the trigger. That's when you're going to fall. Um, when you identify those triggers, that helps you because you can cut off the behavior when it's at the trigger phase instead of when it's built steam. You, you can stop it way up here. When you, when you think about giving into an addiction, it's very much like a snowball rolling down a mountain. That snowball up at the top of the mountain is really tiny. It's not moving fast. Very little momentum. It's really easy to stop up there. But if you keep letting it roll, by the time it gets to the bottom, it's huge. It's moving fast. It's almost impossible to stop at that point. So the point is, if you want to stop giving into an addiction, what do you need to do? you got to stop it up there. you got to figure out what's triggering this. Let me get it stopped at the top of the mountain before it builds up steam. So for the alcoholic, maybe it's you need to not go to parties where you know alcohol is going to be served. You need to not hang out with those people who you know are going to drink too much. For the person wrestling with porn, maybe it's you need to have your your phone off and charging in a public part of the house by 10 p.m. So what you're going to have to do, you get you find things to help stop the cycle of addiction at the trigger phase instead of when it is actually built up steam. Okay, very practical way. It's not foolproof because you can't always control the circumstances of your life. You're still going to have to resist even when it's built up steam. But when you can stop it at the top, it's always easier. Fourth and final step. As the men go back to prepare communion, let's talk about what may be the most important thing when we think about addictions and habits. We must stop defining ourselves by our addictions and bad habits. What do I mean by that? Well, many of you are familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous. Maybe you've been, or you've certainly seen it on TV or in a movie. So Alcoholics Anonymous is an amazing, wonderful 12-step program. They've helped so many people. There's so much I like about it. There's one thing that bothers me, and it's right at the beginning of the meeting. I'm sure you've seen this. When somebody stands up at an AA meeting, what is the first thing they say? Hello, I'm Bob, and I'm an alcoholic. Now, I like that Bob has confessed his struggle. I like that he's open about that. That was step number one. You've got to talk about it. What I don't like is that Bob just defined himself by his addiction. He just said, the, the primary thing you need to know about me above all else is that I'm addicted to alcohol. The Bible's really clear. No matter what habits you struggle with, no matter what addictions you struggle with, they never define you. Now, what is Bob's identity? Number one. Made in the image of God. Far more important than the addiction he struggles with. Now let's assume Bob is a believer. He's trusted in Jesus. What else is his identity? Child of God. Beloved by God. Forgiven by God. And all of that trumps whatever he's addicted to. So what's far better, and you see this in Celebrate Recovery Ministries, is for Bob to get up and say, Hey, I'm Bob. I'm a child of God. Made in the image of God. Beloved by God. Forgiven by God. And I happen to struggle with alcohol. Do you see the difference? It's crucial to understand. No matter how far you have fallen, your addiction or bad habit never defines you. Never. That's the good news of Christianity. That's the good news of the gospel. You realize if you've fallen to pornography 999 times, God is not up there in heaven saying, Oh boy, that's the limit. Better not get to a thousand, or we're cutting this thing off. It's not how it works. No, God's grace, God's forgiveness is infinite. Jesus already died for every time you will all ever give in to this. Okay, so your addiction, your bad habit, it does not define you. It does not limit God's grace or God's work in your life. You are known by God as a child of God, fully forgiven by God. And there's nothing that can ever change that. And that's the good news that we're going to celebrate this morning in communion. What is communion about... It's about it's about remembering that when Jesus went to the cross, he literally took every sin we would ever commit upon us. You realize Jesus has already died for sins you don't know you're going to commit. Right? He already knows the bad habit you're going to start building tomorrow and how you're going to give into it 10 years from now and how you're going to give into it again 20 years from now. He already knows it all and he already died for it all so that you could be completely forgiven and never doubt that. You are already completely forgiven because Jesus died for every sin you will ever commit. And that's the good news we celebrate. When we celebrate communion, we're remembering, we're reminding one another that Jesus gave his body, his blood, his life for us. So that no matter what sins, bad habits, or addictions we give into, we have eternal life as a free gift and can never lose it. And so as the men come forward, what I want you to do over the next few minutes is just say thank you to God. That you are not defined by your sins or your bad habits or your addictions. You are stead, instead a child of God made in the image of God, beloved by God and forgiven because Jesus died for you. So take these few moments to say thank you for what Jesus did for you on the cross. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your son, Jesus Christ. We remember and we praise you that Jesus died for all of our sins, even the ones we don't know about yet. We thank you and we praise you that we cannot out your grace, that there is no limit to it, that it is infinite. We praise you, Lord God, for the security and peace that that gives us. I pray, Father, for any person here this morning who feels weighed down and owned by some sin or bad habit or addiction who just doesn't feel hope. I pray, Lord, that you would open their eyes and help them to see. And no matter what they've done, you love them infinitely and unconditionally. That no matter what they've done, that Jesus died for them and rose from the dead so that they could have eternal life as a gift, not something they earn or or need to prove. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help them to see that no matter how far they have fallen, there is still hope that you can heal them, that you can bring obedience into their lives and righteousness into their lives and healing into their lives. I pray, Heavenly Father, that they would walk out of here today refreshed, feeling a sense of new life and, and new joy, that you can begin a new work of redemption and restoration in their lives. I pray, Lord God, that you would turn their story into a triumph. I pray for all of us, Lord, that when sin comes knocking, that we would remember that all sin is inherently addictive and that we would choose obedience and that as we choose obedience, that you would work in us so that tomorrow we desire obedience even more. We thank you that you are not a God who functions on obligation, but that you are instead a God who loves to transform people's desires so that they want to do that which is good for them and good for others. That is such a joyous thing. We praise you, Father, that you are good. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Now, if you'll stand, let's continue in worship.